Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney. And this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hi. Oh, <laughs> you are just raring to go. Raring to go. Have you had caffeine today? Uh, no. Because it sounds like you've had about three cups. No, sadly, I, I, I literally just realized I haven't had any caffeine and now I feel like I need to go and redo my day. Oh, well, no, no need for that. I, I enjoy your raw enthusiasm, though. That's all it is. It's pure, unfiltered, raw enthusiasm. Well, that's fantastic. I, I certainly don't want to stifle that energy, so let's go. All right. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Okay. So just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, oh yeah, the theater moves around. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And, of course, if you've been with us for our first 10 episodes, you know we just finished a series of the top 10 best horror movies of all time, according to online magazine Bloody Disgusting. And now that we've finished that, of course, we've got to start something new. So we have decided to start a new series called Grinders, where we look at some of the best exploitation and grindhouse films from the 1970s. And I don't think we could have started with a more iconic film. Yeah, this this series I'm really stoked about because I feel like this is definitely, I mean, I'll watch any sort of horror movie. I, I've said that many times before, so I'm open to anything, but I definitely feel like you have always gravitated more towards Grindhouse movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm excited to get in and see these with you. And especially because, I, you know, as we were doing research beforehand, trying to figure out what movies would fall into these categories for us and everything, it seemed like there were a lot of consistent titles on everybody's list that, you know, seemed to be everybody's favorites for the same reasons. And all of them I have never seen before. So it seems like this is going to open up a whole new world for me. So I'm super stoked for this series. And, and like you said, the movie that we started off with was just it, it was chef's kiss it was amazing <laughs> it really was it you know because we had seen so many of the movies in the last series that we did we really wanted to focus this series on titles neither one of us have seen mm-hmm. and yeah i i am a huge fan of grindhouse theater you know i'm also a huge fan of tarantino and he was really inspired by all those great grungy grindhouse. So, but there's still so many that I haven't seen that there's plenty to choose from. But we certainly, I, it's going to be hard to top this one. I, it's, <laughs> it was really, really good to watch. Yeah, I feel like this movie was was the perfect balance of fun, campiness, uh, ridiculous fight scenes, ridiculous music. 
But also, there was a couple of parts that legitimately creeped me the fuck out. I, I'm right there with you. And like, the, that it was just the perfect combination. What more could I ask for? Not much. It's it's a classic for a reason. So I say we dive into it. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about it. And of course, as always, now is the time when I have to tell you guys that we're going to jump into a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie, of course, we're going to be talking about Blackula. We were able to find it on Pluto TV, which is a free app you can get on your Roku or on your phones, iPads, etc. Or we actually found out that you can find it on YouTube completely free, just with commercials. Um, so that's another option as well. I will link it down in the show notes um, for those that want to watch it. But of course, if you don't want to watch it either way, if you want to hang out and listen to us spoil it, that's what we're doing now. So be prepared no holds bar we're here to discuss this amazing movie and i'm not kidding if you haven't seen this one either stop right now and do yourself a favor and go watch it now or you know hang out with us listen to us talk about it and then go watch it after it really is worth checking out Mm -hmm. It, it really is so much fun so let's just get to the wiki So, Blackula is a 1972 American horror film directed by William Crane. The movie came in a long line of blaxploitation films that had begun to flood the market, but this was one of the first to actually be directed by a black man. It stars William Marshall in the title role, Vanetta McGee as Luva and Tina, that'll make sense in a minute, Denise Nichols as Michelle, and Thalmas Rasulala as Dr. Gordon Thomas. Blackula was released to mixed reviews in the United States, but was a huge hit at the box office, debuting at number 24 on Variety's list of top films. It eventually grossed over a million dollars, making it one of the highest grossing films of that year. It was the first film to receive an award for Best Horror Film at the Saturn Awards, which are presented by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Also released that year, the original Last House on the Left and cult classic I Dismember Mama, so it beat out some decent competition. Blackula got a sequel the following year in 1973 with Scream Blackula Scream, starring the amazing Pam Greer. Now, we haven't seen Scream Blackula Scream, but I definitely want to now that we've seen this one. Um, if you have seen Blackula and you want to see that sequel, I, again, was able to find it on Pluto. I saw it was on Tubi. Uh, so if you guys want to check that one out as well, feel free to do so and, and let us know what you think and let us know if you want us to cover it pretty soon because I would be down to. I've heard that one's very good as well. I'll watch anything with Pam Greer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Adore her. Yeah. Well, before we get into the movie itself, why don't you break us down a synopsis? All right, so it reads, During a visit to Transylvania, an African prince gets turned into a vampire by Count Dracula. Sealed in a coffin for several lifetimes, Blackula reawakens in 1970s Los Angeles. Leaving a trail of bloodless victims in his wake, he pursues Tina, a woman who bears a striking resemblance to his dead wife. Meanwhile, Dr. Gordon Thomas and top cop Lieutenant Peters are hot on the bloodsucker's trail. Well, here we go. We're starting out as any good vampire movie should. There's a storm. There's a storm of brewing. There's lightning and thunder. And this is Transylvania 1780. A bit in the past. Just a couple days. And we are at Dracula's castle. The man himself. We're just jumping right in. Yeah, we get to see him in his huge, like you said, castle and his fancy clothes. 
Yeah, they're having a regular shindig, and Dracula is entertaining guests. And this is Prince Mama Walde and his beautiful wife, Luva. And he has been sent by the elders of the Nigerian Ibani African nation to seek the help of Count Dracula in suppressing the transatlantic slave trade. But it turns out Dracula's a racist fuck. Surprise. What an asshole. He immediately insults Mama Walde, Mm -hmm. tells him slavery has its merits. Yeah. And even says he'd welcome an addition to his home of a woman such as beautiful as his wife. Basically tells the guy, I'd love to enslave your wife. What a fucking dick. Yeah. Yeah. Real classy. But speaking of classy, does Mama Walde fly into a violent rage? Cuss him out? Mm -mm. Nope. He just looks at him and says, sir, are you ill? (laughs) (laughs) He's just like, what in the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. But the insults just continue to get worse. And and finally, the prince and his beautiful bride decide they're just going to leave. But Dracula has other things in mind, and he sicks his minions on the good prince. And Mama Walde does his best to fight them off with pokey fire. But they (laughs) knock him unconscious with a face that um, doesn't really hit his head, but he plays it off well. But also, it's very cliche, Minions. Uh, This man deserves much better than a mere vase to the head. Yeah, I agree. Uh, But Drac ends up bringing in his vamps, and they grab Luva, and of course, he bites Mama Walde. He takes him down into the basement and puts him into a coffin, and he says, I curse you with my name. You shall be Blackula. Uh, He's also crying blood tears. I'm I'm not sure. I, I didn't realize that was a vampire thing. I do that, and I'm not a vampire, so. Oh. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tried it. it Couldn't sound, do it. It sounds painful to cry blood. I mean, that's not the most pleasurable experience, but, you know. I mean, it seems like that should need medical attention. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, I'm still trucking. <laughs> Good for you, trooper. <laughs> Good for you. So he goes ahead and locks Mama Walde up in the coffin, and this is not good. Mama Walde... He's now a vampire, so he's the undead. So he's locked in this coffin and craves blood, but cannot get to it. Meanwhile, in the same room, but on the outside of the coffin, his wife is left there, still mortal, to basically starve to death and and listen to her husband scream in anguish. Uh, Basically, Dracula says to her, You will watch helpless and dying until the black flesh rots from your bones. Listen for his cries. They will comfort you until your death. And then he laughs. It's very, very dramatic. It's not a good joke. I don't know why he laughed. (laughs) He thinks it's hilarious. I've heard better jokes. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, the subtext here is beautiful. Uh, Because of the despicable acts of a powerful white guy, this charming, intelligent, respectable black man is literally vilified. He's forcibly changed into something he never wanted to be. They even have Dracula curse Mama Walde with a new name, just as a slave owner would have done. And, And that's what Crane did so brilliantly. 
is on the surface, this is just another black exploitation horror film. But he knew his target audience, not just black people, but the queer community as well. And, and we'll get to that. But he knew that they would understand exactly what was really being said here in some subtle and not so subtle ways. It, it's brilliantly done. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I thought getting these kind of subtle nuances right at the beginning really sets the tone for the movie. And I like how it was done so subtly in a way that, again, I think similarly to other movies we've talked about in the past, where you as the viewer can kind of choose how deep you want to go into it. But I like that it was done in a way that, you know, like I said, any any audience member can enjoy this movie as it is and, and come away with it with some sort of semblance of... of Knowledge, You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Crane was smart enough to put these little things in here, but knew that for most people, it was just going to go right over their heads and they weren't going to pay attention to that. And they just want to see a fun horror movie. And if that's your intention and all you plan to get out of this film, you're going to have a great time. Mm -hmm. But if you also notice the message and that is what you're looking for, you're also going to have a great time. You know, it's exactly like you said, you get what you want to out of this movie. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have to force feed you. You take what you want and you just have a good time. And, And that's what makes this movie so great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, this is just our cold opener. And right then, just the most amazing soundtrack, this up-tempo, jazzy R&B score by Gene Page pulls us into one of my favorite opening title sequences ever. Yeah, you loved this this whole sequence. I, I, it, yeah, it's, it's so simple, yet stunning and amazing. It's all animated and completely black and white with some splashes of red thrown in there. It, it, it reminds me of those old spy thrillers from the 1960s and is anything but what you'd expect in your typical horror movie Mm -hmm. this this is completely unexpected and it's another thing that just makes it great yeah i I mentioned that a few times throughout my notes just the music and the sound effects and everything because it immediately stands out like you said because it's so different from what we expect from a horror movie but it it didn't detract from it like i found myself paying attention to it but still enjoying it like I'd never found myself being like this this doesn't belong here why are they putting this here this is silly the soundtrack to the whole movie was phenomenal like I said I I made note of it a couple times like just throughout specific scenes where I would say like oh my gosh the sound effects here are amazing or (laughs) oh my gosh the song here in this part blah 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 so good so yeah it was just it was so fun the music throughout this whole movie was so fun Well, here we are back in Transylvania again, only this time it's present day, which for this movie, of course, is 1972. And we see that someone is just randomly buying Dracula's castle, because I'm sure it goes on the market all the time. (laughs) You know, the Transylvanian government, they don't have any need to preserve that for historical purposes or benefit from the tourism dollars. Let's let's just sell it. It's just taking up space. They really should have, like thought about making it an airbnb or something (laughs) i mean i'd stay there oh yeah me too well here we meet bobby and billy two gay boys lovers business partners i don't know it's unclear but they're antiques dealers and only want the house for the goods inside i mean has no one been here in 200 years why is everything still here yeah i was thinking the same thing too because i was like okay well 
I don't understand why the at the very least like nobody seized this stuff or you know like I don't know it just seemed like nothing seemed really aged or that dirty or anything <laughs> yeah it's it just it, pristine condition yeah I was like did they just stumble across this mm-hmm. it was like my god we found Dracula's castle <laughs> been looking for this for 200 years let's sell it <laughs> also I I hate it when straight boys play gay when they can't even act in the first place it's just painful to watch yeah it really was that that, that whole sequence there was was pretty painful it, it's pretty bad so uh, therefore i had dubbed billy bad actor gay and bobby is afro gay because he has this stunning it's literally right when we come out of the credits it's like afro yeah and it is so good big and beautiful yeah my favorite thing that came out of this whole scenario was um and i don't know i don't know their names but um one of them called the other one a silly lamp queen because they were talking about the <laughs> right well that's coming up in the next scene we're now back in the states and the boys have shipped all the antiques from the house in transylvania back to to la to sell uh and that's when they're in the warehouse and yes he calls him a lamp queen yes i don't know what it means i don't know either but i love it all my friends will now be lamp queens you silly lamp queen well can i just say that this movie is so 70s that in the scene that's supposed to be depicting that these antiques have shipped over we see a boat come into the harbor and then when we see this truck driving through the streets of la and I swear to God, it looks just like the Sanford and Son truck Yeah, driving yeah. through. And over that scene, we get more of, of that fantastic Gene Page jazz funk score. But what I really wanted was that... I love that show. It is a good show. It was it was so good. It really was. Well, the gays are back to check out all their antique goodies. But first, let's open this coffin with a lock on it. Because nothing could go wrong here. Not at all. But oops, bad actor gay has accidentally <laughs> sliced his arm open. I mean, like a five inch long gash. And I still, I watched the movie twice and I still don't know how he did it. I, I don't either. He's just all of a sudden like, ah, ah. <laughs> Like, what? What happened? Yeah, just freaking out. And like you said, yeah, it's like a big, like, four it, or five inch gash. Yeah, just... it's the majority of his forearm, mm-hmm. but I'm sure gauze should be just fine. Yeah. I'll patch that right up. Let me just get you one of those little round band-aids. It'll <laughs> be just fine. So Bobby starts to patch up Billy, and this, of course, stirs the now ravenous Mama Walde, who can now get out of the damn coffin because you freaking unlocked it. Way to go, you silly lamp queen. (laughs) Well, needless to say, Billy, the bad actor gay, gets sucked off. And not in the way that he would have hoped. Dun, dun, dun. He did. Womp, womp. (laughs) Well, Afro-gay Bobby is next, and he gets strangled before he's bitten. I kind of thought the blood had to be flowing. Yeah, this whole scene is... The sound effects, the fighting sound effects, are just top notch so good so good <laughs> i really wanted like uh those old batman thwop and crash mm-hmm. and bangs to pop up yeah that would have made it perfect it really would have it was it was amazing i was wondering how long it was going to go on and not that i felt like okay what's going on but 
it really it was kind of towing that line of like improbability i was like we're in a small space and like he, he could have gotten him by now and and really just killed him <laughs> but i think we're dragging this out <laughs> just join with him a bit <laughs> also i really want afro gay to get his own series kind of like an afro samurai kind of thing only gay yeah i'd watch it for sure why not I'm sure there's plenty of people asking for that. <laughs> if they weren't before. Well, You're welcome. <laughs> Blackula dons himself a cape. Was that just lying around? Where does he get a cape? Uh, I'm sure there was a tablecloth somewhere that he was able to tie up. <laughs> you think that's what it is? Yeah. Improvising. I like it. Uh, but after that, yeah, I mean, the man's been... Locked in a coffin for 200 years. He's free. He can do whatever he wants. You know what he does first? Goes right back to fucking bed. It's like, dude, you have been asleep for a couple hundred years. Snooze should not be an option for you. See, I have the exact opposite reaction. I I literally wrote down, I was like, wake up, feast, laugh maniacally, and then go right back to bed. (laughs) This is the way of life. Yeah, that's the other thing. As he's getting back into his coffin... He just starts laughing a lot. Mm-hmm. Just like the, where you start going, okay, he's a, I think he's lost it at this point. Yeah. But, you know, he's got a full tummy. <laughs> he's gotten a little food loopy. A little warm blood. And I get Makes it. Makes you sleepy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely had the opposite reaction. I was like, I get it. You get full, you get a little sleepy. Time for night night. That's the life that I would like to live. Wake up, eat, laugh, sleep. Well, next we see Bobby at his funeral. We also see his arm move. And so does Mama Walde. But before he can retrieve what would have been his first minion, Bobby's friends are there. And one of them, Tina, looks just like Luva. But I gotta say, this cloak thing she's wearing, they have her come in and shes she has like this cloak thing with a hood up over her face. Mm-hmm. And... I, I get that there's supposed to be like this big reveal here yeah. where, oh my God, she looks just like Luva. But, you know, I just don't know if a cloak was really high fashion at the time. So it just, it doesn't make sense for her to be walking in with this cloak on. It just seemed odd. Yeah. It yeah. also looked like it was made from a giant crown royal bag. So. It, yeah. Yeah. It did. It did. I don't know. I thought that that part was just a little bit strange only because, I don't know, it didn't feel like it it, it was needed to be there as as in like uh, a reveal in the, in the aspect of like, here's a, a, you know, crazy reveal. I just didn't understand the need for that because it, to, just to me, it didn't add anything to the story. Like I would have been fine just being like, okay, yeah, she looks like Luva and now he wants to go after her. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. I, I think they thought it came across way more dramatic yeah. than it did. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but it it would have been just fine if she just walked in there as a normal person, sans cloak. Mm-hmm. And I thought you were going to say sans clothes. I was like, well, that would have been more <laughs> just impactful. Just walk in all nudie, and that would have been fine. <laughs> just walks in the door, she's it. like, Luva who? <laughs> Fully naked. And you're like, I just don't think nudity's in right now. So, <laughs> also looks like you're made from a giant crown royal bag. 
Well, it, it's also important that this is basically uh, the rest of our main cast. We will have some more supporting characters. But here we have Tina, who is going to be Mama Walde's new love interest. We have her sister, Michelle, and Michelle's boyfriend, Dr. Gordon Thomas, who also just happens to be a pathologist for the police department. And he is a little curious about Bobby's manner of death. And uh, the funeral director is like, yeah, man, I did everything I could to try and cover it up. It's a really weird rat bite. And the good doctor's like, rat bite? <laughs> I don't know what the hell kind of rats you deal with, but this doesn't look right. Uh, but he gets the answers that he needs from the funeral director and leaves uh, without saying goodbye. And I can't repeat what the funeral director said about him. Yeah. But just be assured he thought he was rude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next, Michelle and Tina are walking home from the funeral home and they end up parting ways. And pretty soon, Tina starts to think that someone is following her and she starts running and ends up rounding a corner and running smack into Mama Walde's chest. He, of course, thinks she's Luva, but she's just freaked out and runs off, dropping her purse in the process. Mama Walde chases after her, but just ends up getting hit by a taxi for his efforts. And <laughs> I gotta tell you, since we've been doing this, this is the very first time <laughs> that I actually, twice during the movie, just plain stopped taking notes and said, well, I'm going to have to watch it a second time. <laughs> because this next scene, it is, I'm telling you right now, it's my favorite scene in the entire movie. It's just so good. It is really good. So the taxi driver, Juanita, who is incredible. She's played by an actress named Ketty Lester, and she is it. I mean, she starts telling him, you know, chasing tail can get you killed, and Mama Walde blames her for letting Tina get away, and he calls her an imbecile. Well, Juanita does not take kindly and says that he's the only imbecile on this block, and now it's Mama Walde's turn to be pissed, and Juanita has got to do a bit of backtracking because the fangs have literally come out, and she's all like, uh, look, you'll find her. She's She's got to be around here somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and she literally starts looking around on the ground for her. <laughs> she's like, maybe she's looking for you. Like, maybe you need to go <laughs> find her. I bet she's worried to death about you. So why don't you go after her instead of me? Uh, but all her pleading is for naught. <laughs> and Mama Walde kills her. R.I.P. Juanita. She, uh, she was so good. I, when she started looking around on the ground... <laughs> I could not contain myself. I was laughing so hard. It was just... <laughs> she's so good. It was amazing. She was really good. And she she remains really good. She comes back later on. Worth it. So Absolutely worth it. worth it. Yes. Well, Tina gets back home and someone starts banging on her door. Tina grabs a knife because fuck if anyone's getting in that door. But turns out it's just her sister Michelle and Tina tells her about being nearly attacked. Meanwhile, Mama Walde is sad and goes to bed again, but this time really slowly. Also relatable. <laughs> now, this one, I, I had no idea what was the point of the scene. He's he's caressing her purse and he's just walking around and shaking his head. And 
don't know what he's doing. Just like, contemplating, I guess. I mean, the scene goes on for like three minutes. He's not saying anything, doing anything. And he just gets in his coffin and goes to bed. I'm like, what was that? Just reveling in his sadness. He's just an emo. <laughs> he really is. Well, Dr. Thomas is now at the police station and he meets up with Sam, who is the morgue attendant because the doctor is there to inspect Juanita, the taxi driver's body. So why is there a morgue in the police station? It, I mean, Convenience? <laughs> was that? Uh, that would be convenient. But it, was that is that a normal thing? I thought they were just in hospitals. Do police stations have their own morgues? Uh, it seems odd. I don't know. It seems like something. I don't know. It seems like maybe something I might have heard about before, but it's like not a thing anymore. But I could just be making that up. All right. Well, the other thing we should probably talk about <laughs> is the fact that Sam has a hook for a hand. Yeah. Why? Don't know. It's obvious it's fake. I mean, not fake like Sam fakes like he has a hook for a hand. Fake is in it's not a very good effect to make us believe this is really a man who does not have a hand that's been replaced with a hook. It's obvious his hand is inserted in that thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I don't understand what the point... It, it's not pivotal to any plot point. Mm-hmm. It never comes back and uses it like a weapon or anything. It's just a hook for a hand. Maybe it was like his idea. Maybe it was one his like his only stipulation. Like he's method. And he's like, look, I really feel that Sam should have a hook. Yeah. All right. Or maybe like, I will only come work on this movie if I can have a hook hand. And, you know, Crane's like, dude, your guy does not have a hook hand. It has nothing to do with anything. And he's like, I don't care. I want a hook hand. And you're like, you know what? I trust your process. Yeah. I worked for it. It worked. And, you know, I, I found myself looking at it. So, <laughs> job well done, I guess. I mean, it made him memorable. Yeah. Well, the doctor sends him off to get coffee. Basically, like, you know, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. Uh, and he's really interested in those puncture wounds in Juanita's neck. But then he says they're ridiculous. I'm assuming he's going through this whole thought process in his head where he's starting to think vampire. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, you know, he's just like, oh, no, that's that's just ridiculous. But all he says out loud is that's ridiculous. So we don't we don't know really <laughs> what's going on and what exactly is ridiculous. That's just my assumption. Maybe he was like checking to make sure he didn't do it. And he was just he checked and he was like, that, that's ridiculous. I know I, I knew I didn't do it. Or maybe it was the rats thing again. And he was just going, can't believe that idiot thought these were rats. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Rats don't have mouth. <laughs> Everybody knows that. They eat with their butts. <laughs> well, Dr. Thomas then goes and talks to Lieutenant Peters and wants to see the police reports on Bobby and Billy, the gay Bobsy twins, and the taxi driver's cases. But the paperwork has mysteriously disappeared. But as soon as Thomas mentions how they might be dropping the ball on cases involving black victims, the lieutenant gets real nervous and assures him he'll have the reports brought over personally to him by Officer Barnes. So Dr. Thomas now wants to do an autopsy on Bobby's body since he is yet to be buried and he calls the funeral home to arrange for the body to be picked up. Next, the good doctor, Michelle, and Tina are having drinks at a club, and we get our first musical interlude. 
And it's a good one. Oh, this is the Hughes Corporation, and they are an American pop and soul trio out of Santa Monica, California. You might not recognize them because they wouldn't hit the charts until two years later in 1974 with their hit Rock the Boat which would go on to sell over 2 million copies. Do you know that song? It was certainly way before your time. It sound, the title sounds super familiar, but I not... Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, don't tip the boat over. It's a great song. It is a really good song. Well, this is them. I, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michelle and the good doctor are making googly eyes at each other while Tina is just there as the weird third wheel. I was like... <laughs> This is awkward. She should have put her cloak back on. (laughs) And here we have another one of those subtle scenes that William Crane was able to sneak in here. Uh, We actually saw an interview with William Crane, and he was talking about the, the process and about how yes, this was a huge step to actually finally have a blaxploitation film directed by a black director but he still had an all-white crew so literally it was himself and the actors that were black everyone else was white and he tells a story about filming this scene where his assistant director was placing everyone all the extras where they needed them to be in the scene so they could map out where the camera was going to go and of course he goes around and he puts all the white people with white people and puts all the black people with black people. And of course, Crane was like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. And he goes up and switches them all together. So you have white people dancing with black people and black people dancing with white people. And it's just, they're just people. Mm -hmm. It's not segregated. Yeah. And he literally remembers having to fight for that and being like, no, that is not how we're filming this scene. Mm -hmm. And it's such a subtle thing. I I don't think a lot of people would even notice Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. But at the time, I imagine that was pretty controversial. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's I think that's really interesting to think about the fact that, well, yes, we were in an era where, uh, you know, the black community was being shown on the screen more and more. And and that was good to a certain extent, but it still wasn't... They the, weren't being showed in a positive light. Yeah, and it still wasn't the progress that, that they needed because behind the scenes they were still being met with the whites are going to dance with the whites and the blacks are going to dance with the blacks. And yeah, I just thought that was really interesting hearing his um, you know whole take on the movie and everything that went on behind the scenes because again, that was just my ignorance to think that everything was you know sunshine and flowers <laughs> when I'm sure that, yeah... There was still plenty of hurdles and red tape to get through. And and I know that there was other things that he mentioned that he had to contend with throughout the filming of this movie. Well, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, And of course, there's no doubt the impact this had on black representation in film. Yeah. But it wouldn't be until much, much later that that impact was really felt. Because certainly we know that in the 80s... um black characters didn't fare too well in horror yeah, yeah. uh so <laughs> although uh this was a good start there was still a lot of work to be mm-hmm, done mm-hmm. and today still a lot of work yep. to be done well next we see that mama walde is on the scene he's at the club and he has brought tina's purse back uh and she just invites him to come and sit at their table it's michelle's birthday 
this complete stranger who scared the shit out of you yesterday should definitely be invited. Yeah, I was confused because they they kind of ask her, they're like, okay, where's your purse? And uh, she says, oh, he gave it to me, all is well. And everybody's just so chill in this moment. And I just don't understand it because he came here to the club. Right. How did he know she exactly. was there? Like, this is yes. all very stalkery. Yeah, it's really weird. And she's very quick just to be like, oh, cool. You yeah. brought my purse back. Yeah. That must mean you're an okay guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's supposed to speak more to, you know, the the lore of Dracula is is that he always has like this hypnotic power over people kind of this mind control so maybe it's just this sense of you know these are not the droids you're looking for and i didn't steal your purse you dropped it and i'm not a creep at all and don't want to bite your beautiful neck that makes sense that definitely makes more sense uh because i did (laughs) when i was watching it today i was like i still don't understand i don't get why these people are just chill with the stalker guy with fangs coming in and acting like he's part of the fan bam so Well, things are uh, about to get a a little more weird because he tells Tina that she looks just like his wife who just died recently and that he loved very much. This is not awkward at all because now everybody's like, oh, that's weird and sad. (laughs) Read the room, dude. Like, this is not (laughs) dinner talk. This is not club talk. Uh, Did I mention it's my birthday and I would like to celebrate without talking about your dead wife? Yeah, because he had like... Didn't he just order champagne? Like, he was like, oh, happy mm-hmm. birthday, champagne for the table. Also, you remind me a lot of my dead wife. Yep. And I loved her so much. Did I mention that I would love to put your blood in my mouth? <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't know. Those were funsies. There's champagne coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Thomas is a little weary of him. Go figure. Uh, but he seems to win the ladies over. He's very charming. They're all just like, oh, yes, everything's great. This is fine. <laughs> well, we get treated to another musical interlude. It's like the director was like, uh, look, my auntie insists I let my little cousins be in the movie. I mean, they could sing. I just, she practically raised me. I feel I owe her. I put Chuck and the Ronettes in. <laughs> like five minutes it'll be fine well next dr thomas gets a call bobby's body has disappeared uh mama walde suggests maybe he wasn't dead and the doctor wants to know what the hell he means he gets so offended he's like well maybe he wasn't dead well what the hell do you mean by that i know he's immediately he's like i saw the body myself i personally examined him there's no way i could be wrong (laughs) how dare you you and your champagne. <laughs> well, things are about to get very chaotic because next some random dude named Skillet shows up <laughs> and a cake is brought over and a lady starts taking pictures of everyone and there's just a lot going yeah. on. And as soon as Mama Walde realizes someone is snapping photos, it's time to make his exit. But here's the thing. You know, the man's been dead for 200 years, locked... Well, he's been locked in a coffin, Mm -hmm. okay? So he has had no contact with the outside world for 200 years. And you're going to tell me he wakes up. How does he understand what a camera is? Maybe there was, like... Maybe Dracula left a cell phone in there. (laughs) There are no cell phones. This is the 70s. You don't know that. Dracula... 
was a very sneaky guy. <laughs> I'm sure he knew somebody to make one. All right. And, and Or maybe, who knows, maybe Blackula was the one who created the camera. Huh? The technology lives on through him and his death. Well, Tina goes after <laughs> Mama Walde and asks him to stay. He can't, but he does want to see her again. And as he kisses her hand, again, very charming, the photographer lady snaps another photo of the two of them. Uh-oh. If she develops that picture and he doesn't show up in it, he's in big trouble. So, of course, we next see our little shutterbug, Nancy, at home developing the photo. And it's important to note that she lives right behind the bar. Mm -hmm. It took me a bit to figure this out. I was like, I don't understand how these things are connected. But Yeah, because she even says that. Like, she takes the pictures and she's talking to, I think, Tina. And she says, like, I'm going to go develop these. I'll be right back. And I was curious about that, too, because I was like, it seems weird to leave a night out to go develop these if you're going to come right back but it makes sense if she lives right there well i i thought that meant that she had like a little dark room somewhere there at the club mm-hmm. uh but i mean basically she does it's that's at a smarter house. i don't know why i didn't think of that <laughs> but at least she's close enough that she can just run home but but it wasn't really clearly stated so when she goes home you see her at home it's like well why'd she go all the way home mm-hmm. this seems weird but she very quickly starts to get the sense that someone is in her house. Uh, she looks around but doesn't end up seeing anyone, so she just goes back to developing the film. And just as the photo finishes processing and Nancy discovers an empty spot where Mama Walde should have been, a confused Nancy whips open the curtains right into the awaiting fangs of Mama Walde. And she did. And he's making like this super creepy sound. Was he? Yeah, that that was one thing that I really enjoyed about these vampire characters in this movie. They made like this really deep, gu- like guttural sound when they were approaching people. Yeah. Um, and I say really creepy. I mean, maybe it's just really creepy to me, just because I hate that sound. But it was just I don't I don't. Whenever he was like coming into attack her, it was like this really really deep, guttural like buildup noise and Uh then he kind of screamed and attacked her i don't know i thought it was genuinely creepy and then we do have a scenario later on um that we haven't touched on yet uh where it it occurs again and i remember thinking that i remember was like damn they did a good job on the because i don't know if it's them or if it's voiceover work or what the case Mm -hmm, is but mm -hmm. i remember having that thought when we were watching that i thought it was really significantly creepy how they did that and i thought it was well done well, I'm getting old and my hearing's going, so maybe it was one of those things that was just under <laughs> what I could perceive with my hearing. But that's pretty cool that it, it uh, was that effective. Yeah, yeah. Well, next, a cop pulls up. And this is where initially I was really confused because I thought he was pulling into a driveway. Like, he was pulling up at home mm-hmm. and he sees, you know, his neighbor stumble out onto the porch. But this is Officer Barnes And he has come to the club because he's supposed to be bringing those reports to Dr. Thomas. Mm -hmm. But before he can do that, Nancy, the photographer, stumbles outside onto her porch and he runs over to help her. But she's not so helpless. She's already changed and attacks Barnes and bites him on the neck. 
that was really fast. I, I, I feel like there's probably a longer incubation period normally for these things. Yeah, that is one thing, just talking about time-wise, I wished that we had longer time with the the vampires outside of just uh, Mama Walde's character, just because they're so well done mm-hmm. um, and so well developed in such a short amount of time. Like her character, we only see her, I mean, literally, briefly, flash of seconds as a vampire. And I wished we got to spend a little bit more time with her. Yeah. I think that, again, speak, just speaks to how well the movie is, is done to talk about monsters in a movie that a i'm not normally a fan of i'm not Mm -hmm. normally a vampire fan when it comes to books or movies it's just not normally my jam but this one just did it so well done and then like i said i I genuinely was like a little bit bummed when these vampires were were um basically getting killed off or just disappearing in some capacity and we weren't getting more time with them because i was like no i want more like i want more of this i want Mm -hmm. like mobs of this happening yeah yeah just all of it was so well done because I just wanted more vampires. <laughs> well, in our next scene, Dr. Thomas is back talking to Lieutenant Peters and tries to get a permit to exhume Billy's body since Bobby's body has disappeared. So remember, Billy was the bad actor gay. The lieutenant says no, and so the doctor asks Michelle to help him do it anyway. She refuses at first. But apparently he's a really good kisser, and so she agrees. What an interesting date night. Yeah. I mean, look, I think we both know that you and I would do absolutely anything for each other. Mm -hmm. But in all seriousness, if one of us had turned to the other and said, I need you to go help me to dig up a body, Mm -hmm. I believe if there was good reason, we'd probably do that. But it wouldn't just be as simple as smother me with kisses and I'll be okay with it. Yeah. I'm going to need a backstory here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, w- I thought you were going to say you wouldn't do it because I was going to be oh, like, no. I would for sure do it. I just need some deets. Like, exactly. I need some information. I mean, you can even tell me on the way. I trust you that much. <laughs> Maybe before I get in the car. <laughs> okay. Definitely, I need more than some some kissing action. While I appreciate the kisses. It's very nice. Doesn't uh, hurt. It doesn't, you know, it helps to sweeten the deal a little bit. It's not going to not gonna get me there. Yeah, I, uh, I need more reason to dig up a body. Yeah, exactly. Well, meanwhile, Mama Walde has shown up at Tina's apartment, and he lays it all out for her. Who he is how he got to be that way, and now, because he believes she's the reincarnation of his dead wife, Luva, he wants her to run away with him. But she says she can't. I mean, he just laid a bunch of shit on her. Mm -hmm. This is a lot to process. You know, maybe give her a day? Yeah, because he's not even giving her 24 hours. He's like, sis, I can't be in the sunlight. I need to know (laughs) pretty quickly. And she's stressing. I don't blame her. (laughs) He's like... We literally met two days ago. I now am telling you I'm a vampire. I want you to run away with me. I need you to be fine with that immediately and let's go. Yeah. So she's having a problem saying yes, but he will not take her by force. He will also not return. So basically what he's saying is, I'm not going to make you do it, but I'm leaving right now and you're never going to see me again. No pressure. Yeah. Talk about being stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, but then he really turns on the charm. And, you know, he says, 
you must come to me freely with love or not at all. I've lived again to lose you twice. And oh my goodness. That is one smooth ass motherfucker. It really is. <laughs> I mean, it's a good ass line. Holy shit. It's a good ass line. Needless to say, Tina asked him to stay with her. I mean, I'm gay and I considered Calling asking him, him to stay. Yeah. yeah. That's some nice poetry. I need to write that down and save it for a bad day. <laughs> you're going to be like, no, you're not a vampire. Cut it out. <laughs> well, of course, they punctuate the moment and they kiss passionately. And Tina starts to take off his cape. And then he pulls her tight into an embrace with the look of a three-year-old hugging his mother. Did you <laughs> notice the goofy it really kills the mood. I didn't it's even like, notice. Oh my god, it's this very passionate embrace. And then he just he's supposed to show that he's so overjoyed that she has changed her mind, but it just comes off as <laughs> oh, this <is> my mom. <laughs> Wee, <laughs> you're pretty. Love you, mom. <laughs> well, here we are in the <laughs> cemetery and Dr. Thomas is digging and throwing dirt on Michelle. <laughs> Good date. Uh, And she just wants them to hurry up so they can get the hell out of there. And she also wants to know what's going on. Now she finally asks. Uh, But he just keeps telling her not to sweat it, baby. Just don't sweat it, baby. It's all good. Just calm down. (laughs) Well, they get the coffin open and surprise, motherfucker, Billy is a vampire. Uh, But don't worry. The the good doctor has a stake. Where did he get a stake? It's like all of a sudden... (laughs) It's like, where the hell did you get that? (laughs) Well, Michelle freaks out because she thinks that Billy was a person and that somehow he was still alive. Uh, And so she is just having a conniption fit and is just screaming. And he, of course, has to go over and comfort her. (laughs) He does not do a good job. No. uh, Because he just starts saying, hey, calm down, calm down. He's just like he's stroking her hair. He's just going, easy, easy. Like taming a horse. Yes. And then he... I hated it. He just... I don't even know if I can remember exactly how it was. It was like... (laughs) (laughs) It was so weird. It was like some Billy Bob Thornton sling blade... (laughs) Yes! This low... Oh, it was... It was the scariest part of this whole fucking movie. Yeah, it was Why did he make that noise? It was like his way to console her. I don't get it. He was like, everything's going to be okay. Mm. (laughs) But it was just like, oh, it just sounded smarmy and just, I was like, ooh, ooh, oh, God, I hate it. Yeah, I think we both audibly reacted. We were like, no, we don't like that. I am now more afraid of Dr. Thomas than I am of Mama Walde. (laughs) (laughs) He is so fucking creepy. I'm like, no. Yeah. Well, now Dr. Thomas needs to prove to the lieutenant that there are indeed vampires afoot. So he calls Sam, the hookhand, at the morgue and has him pull out Juanita, the taxi driver. His plan is to bring the lieutenant and to prove to him that this woman is the undead. So it's important that Sam leave Juanita in the room and lock the door when he leaves. Because once she thaws out and wakes up, you don't want to mess with that. Yeah. She's so, going to be a vampy. Really? Sam, it's important. Lock the fucking door. And Sam says, don't really me, dude. I got this. 
don't tell me how to do my job. I know how to lock a door. I got a hook. I know how to do things. So what do we think is going to happen? He's going to use his hook to karate chop her. No. (laughs) So Sam, (laughs) Sam gets her pulled out of the freezer. But of course the phone rings and he gets distracted. So he leaves the room and doesn't lock the door. Sam. Sam. Getting distracted is quite relatable, though. So couldn't even be mad at the guy because I get it. Well, of course, Juanita ends up thawing out and her vamp instincts go into full overdrive. (laughs) And we have... This is the peak (sighs) of the movie. This is where it just... It kicks it. It kicks it into the next gear. And and this whole little... scene right here it is a slow build-up scene Mm -hmm. as Juanita is slowly thawing in the other room and we see Sam going about his business he's doing a little paperwork he's getting other phone calls we'll cut back and Juanita's still thawing and then we see she slowly sits up we see just Mm -hmm. her silhouette and you know it's coming you're like oh shit Sam come on man you gotta get to trucking bad things are coming yeah then we see Sam on the phone, completely unaware of what's about to happen. And all of a sudden, the door to the room that Juanita was in flies open and everything goes into slow motion. And she hauls ass down this long hallway right at the camera. Yeah. And it looks like she's running right towards you. And you keep thinking, Oh my God, is it going to cut away? Is it going to cut away? Is she going to stop? No. She's getting closer. And she come. I mean, I don't know how they got that shot. I'm, I'm sure it was done with the zoom. But it just looked like, how'd they do that without her smacking her yeah. face yeah. on the camera? It It is amazing. It's so good. I think I think it was the, the scene for me that made me think, like, really drove home how much I was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just really, really well done. And and I wanted to briefly talk again, you know, about the sound effects. We were talking about the sound effects and the sound um, soundtrack. During the scene of her melting, it is the scene of building tension. It's a slow mm-hmm. burn scene. But it's it's different because we don't have your normal, like, build up crescendo music, of, you know, getting louder and bigger. It's this odd kind of tinkling noise. Kind of like the tinkling of the ice. Yeah. Yeah, kind of dripping mm-hmm. and melting. And yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it never took away from it. So I wouldn't change a thing about it. I just wanted to, again, briefly mention the crazy soundtrack to this movie. Yeah. And just talk about how, how I think it just only enhanced it in many ways yeah another thing that was fantastic here was just this crazed look on her face because you know this woman has just woken up this is the first time she's awaking as a vampire Mm -hmm. she's been literally on ice since she was killed and so she has this lust this bloodlust and the way she's just running, she's got to have it. She has got to get to that blood. And this look on her face, so, so well done. Mm-hmm. Well, Mama Walde and Tina are having a little pillow talk after sexy, sexy time. Uh, but he's got to split because it's almost daylight. Yeah, yeah, likely story, Prince Charming. <laughs> this ain't no tender date. <laughs> We're on to you. But indeed, he does have to get up and leave And as he does, she professes her love for him. So uh, she is smitten. Yeah, one night, that's all it took. 
Meanwhile, Dr. Thomas and the lieutenant arrive at the morgue and discover that Sam is missing, but there is an awful lot of blood, so things aren't looking too good in his favor. Uh, as they set off to find him, they then enter the room where Juanita thawed out, and the lieutenant wants to know what's beneath that sheet. And surprise, motherfucker, again, Juanita pops the fuck up from under the sheet, <laughs> just a screaming like a banshee. Yeah. I loved this so much because her screams literally sound like the screeching violins from Psycho. Mm-hmm. Her screams are literally, eh, 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 and it is so well done. Yeah. It is amazing. I was just like, they did Psycho. They did, this woman just did Psycho. Yeah. And it is phenomenal. Yeah. And again, this is where the that sound morphing came up when I was talking about earlier, because when they begin the process of taking her down, her voice starts morphing into something very low and guttural and demonic sounding. And it was very well done. Again, it was a part that kind of gave me the creeps and so here you have this super high note of like you said violins to this very low guttural sound and I don't know if if all of it was her but just in that span of having those two noises it's just it was just such an effectively creepy scene I just all of it all her character was one of the main ones that I was like I want more I need mm-hmm. some more oh, of her. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah I, I guarantee you those screams were her and you know as Dr. Thomas he's he's able to keep her forced into a, a corner by brandishing a cross and he opens the blinds on the window next to her and as he's holding this cross she just she's doing this shrill screeching constantly but then it kind of starts to subside and she starts to slowly slink down to the floor and eventually she dies i thought she just got tired and laid down like (laughs) you know when you let a little kid scream it out while they're having a tantrum and and i just thought okay she's she's good we're fine but then the doctor claims that that she just died she succumbed to sunlight i was like that was sunlight you know, you expect when <laughs> they open the light, you know, in most vampire movies, they open a window mm-hmm. and the light just comes crashing through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this blinding light. He opens the window. I seriously thought the light coming through the window was like uh, from a lighted motel sign outside. Yeah. I was just like one of those that flashes outside your window, just on and on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No it vacancy. Was, <laughs> yeah, it was just so muted. I was like, that's supposed to be sunlight Mm -hmm. uh but it was enough to kill her and again r.i.p juanita you're the best yeah yeah my queen so the doctor and the lieutenant end up putting out apbs on sam the morgue attendant and the still missing bobby because now they're worried that they too are vampires So we get another musical number from Cousin Ray as Dr. Thomas, Michelle, Tina, and Mama Walde are back at the club and the good doctor is wondering if Mama Walde is into the occult. After Mama Walde slyly orders himself a Bloody Mary, (laughs) you... Very sneaky. uh, He agrees that the occult is quite fascinating and that vampires are the most fascinating of all. 
The doctor also explains that the police have a theory that the rash of recent murders in town were carried out by a vampire. In fact, they are conducting a search for the vampire's coffin as they speak. Um, that poses a problem. Yeah. So Mama Walde and T leave just as Skillet shows back up again. And he's wondering if anyone has seen Nancy, the photographer. And, of course, everyone says no. So Dr. Thomas decides to check out her place, since it's right next door, and, of course, finds that negative of the photo of Tina and a missing Mama Walde. The doctor now knows who his vampire is, and he knows he's with Tina. So the doctor and Michelle go speeding over to Tina's apartment and nearly crash into the car in front of them. The doctor busts into Tina's apartment and goes right for Mama Walde. Tina begs him not to hurt the doctor, so he escapes instead. So, of course, the cops see a black man run across the street, so they have to go after him. And one of them ends up cornering him in a back alley and tries to shoot him. Well, I mean, he successfully shoots him, but Mama Walde literally just laughs it off and smashes the cop's head into the wall. It's, it kind of just looks like he shook his head a little bit and, and then made him sit down. <laughs> you look tired. Have hot, a time out. Hard day on the beat. Hey, just let me shake your head. Hey, just, just sit down. Take a load off. You'll be fine. Well, this, this is a problem because now he's killed a cop. So now every member of law enforcement in the entire state is after him. So, meanwhile, two cops think they've spotted Bobby. And here we have another scene that, I mean, it it seems a little on the nose, but there's a subtlety to it in the fact that basically what happens here is the officers are in the car. They think they've spotted Bobby, who we've established is homosexual. And one of the officers says, quote, ain't that the fag? And the other officer replies, how can you tell? Don't they all look alike? And and I think what's happening in this moment is obviously we know that Bobby is a very close and dear friend of our main characters because we know that Tina and Michelle went to see him at the funeral home. Mm -hmm. So Tina and Michelle, who have grown up with him since they were children, and, and so they accept him for who he is. They they love him regardless. So I think by having this moment where this officer uses this derogatory term, I don't think this is meant to look negatively upon the queer community. I, th- I think that's a statement saying, here's another instance where a group of people can be marginalized by law enforcement just because of these preconceived ideas. So I think it's just another way of showing that this is a bigger problem than just within the black community. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of moments like that throughout this movie. And yeah, it it, it does just like it does, I'm sure, to the black community all the time where, where we see these instances of that community being marginalized and having societies having predispositioned ideas about them it, it's similar to the queer community it hurts it, it, it's one of those things that's difficult to deal with and so yeah it's this small moment within the movie um that is it really is it's just a, a brief second conversation that happens but it is it's one of those things that kind of catches you where you're like how 
that stuff really used to happen, but it still happens. That's the sucky thing. Uh, the minorities in, in today's society, it, all, the, all those things still occur. Right. And it, and again, it's it's the manner of, of how they were used. Mm-hmm. Because, of, of course, it would be different if two homosexual males were referring to each other by using that term. Mm-hmm. But when it's portrayed to be used by you know, members of law enforcement who are to protect and serve everyone. And, and, and who are clearly them. being portrayed as cis males. Right. You know? Yeah. It's disconcerting. Mm-hmm. So just a heads up for, for those, if you plan on watching it, that that kind of language is in there. But it, it's brief, and it certainly did not take away from my overall enjoyment of this film in any way. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Well, of course, the officers have spotted Bobby and they inform the doctor and the lieutenant and they rush off to see if they can track down Bobby. So they somehow narrow down that Bobby has gone into an old warehouse and a bunch of cops end up converging on that location. Uh, The lieutenant acknowledges that Officer Barnes is there, but hey, wasn't he attacked by Nancy the photographer? Oh, well, I'm sure it's fine. Maybe he just needed some rest. Naps are always good. (laughs) Well, they begin searching the warehouse and find Bobby and a whole bunch of other vampires. This thing has spread like wildfire. Mask up, people. (laughs) Well, the cops are surrounded, but luckily this warehouse includes oil lamps as one of the many things it stores and the cops start throwing all the oil lamps at the vamps as they explode into flames. The only problem is you can clearly see that the lamps aren't actually lit to begin with. So technically when they throw them, when they explode, really just the oil should spread around and and there wouldn't be any fire. Mm-hmm. It would merely be like a minor inconvenience to the <laughs> vampires. They'd just be like, now there's glass. <laughs> Why would you do this? I was chasing you. I don't think this oil will come out of these shoes. Come on. Well, now they see that Barnes has actually changed. Why did it take him so long? Some people, it's like in two seconds, they're vampires. Barnes, he's had a day and a half to walk around and get coffee with his buds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the doctor tells the lieutenant he's going to have to throw a lamp and burn Barnes, but damn it, he's a good man, and the lieutenant can't do it. So Dr. Thomas has to light him up. Well, they escape into the next room only to find themselves face-to-face with Mama Walde. He's just there to move his coffin. Thanks for the idea, by the way. Appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Mama Walde's got a blast and changes into a bat. Bye. (laughs) Or rather, we have a slow dissolve uh, from Mama Walde to a bat. The FX leave a little something to be desired. Yeah, but the sound effects make up for it. (laughs) Uh, the lieutenant exclaims, my God. And it's almost like he's the voice of the audience saying, my God, that was the worst special effects I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, the bat thing to me, it's like, I feel like you're not even trying. (laughs) At least put like a, a, a puff of smoke in there. Yeah. But it's fine. I, it's still perfect for this movie. Yeah. Now I do, I don't want it to be great effects i love it just like this 
Now, if I see any ounce of smoke on that screen, I will be angry. <laughs> well, now we're back at Tina's place, and Dr. Thomas is trying to convince her that Mama Walde is bad. She knows, but she just can't quit that man. So they finally convince her to help them find him. Uh, but later that night, Mama Walde slips into her DMs and telepathically calls her to him, uh, which just sounds like a dog whistle. Like yeah. A real high pitch, like, ee! and she's like, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Immediately, it's like, yes. And where do I go? Be right there. I'm sorry, is that, the, is that behind the McDonald's? No. Oh, down the street. Okay. <laughs> Two lefts? All right, I'll be right there. But she's just by herself walking she in the is. street. It's, it's literally just this one-sided conversation. It's like, who the hell is she talking to? <laughs> well, next, a giant bat is spotted outside Tina's apartment where a crowd is gathered. Why is there a crowd there? There's like crowd, the cops are there saying, keep back, everyone, keep back. There's nothing to see. Why are they there? <laughs> nothing has happened there. It's, you know, the, the confrontation took place at a warehouse. This isn't even evolved. I, I have no idea why all, all yeah. these people have gathered. I but didn't they, even notice that. <laughs> I was, I couldn't figure it out. I was like, well, what happened at Tina's place? Yeah. Is there someone dead I don't remember? Everybody's just really cheering for their love. They're like, yeah, Tina, get your man. Sis, yeah, girl, do it. Well, of course, this alerts Dr. Thomas, and he's like, a bat? Oh, he's here. Ah, and he runs into <laughs> Tina's room. He hates bats. He really does. Only discover that Tina is gone. So Tina is spotted by a couple of more patrol officers, and they follow her back to Mama Walde's new hideout. Well, our lovers are reunited, but Mama Walde can hear the sirens outside and knows they'll be coming for them soon. So the cops storm the building, and some dude in a bow tie is in the stairwell going, what is it? What's going on? <laughs> What's happening? But, <laughs> but the cops... They tell him nothing. Yeah. They don't ask him questions. They don't ask if he's working with Mama Walde. They don't detain him. They don't ask him to leave the building or even take shelter. It just seems like shoddy-ass police work. It bothered me so much. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Mama Walde kills another cop by crushing his windpipe, performing the Vulcan death grip. I, I don't know what he does. He barely grabs the cop's yeah. neck. And he's just dead. It's like, what, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, next, Mama Walde and Tina are making their escape down a hall, and another cop comes in and shoots Tina in the back. And Mama Walde takes out his revenge, but he doesn't merely neck-squeeze him to death. He beats the shit out of this cop until he is dead. He is pissed. Because now he knows there's only one way to save her. Yeah. He's going to have to turn her. And he does. And now it's time for his revenge. And oh my God, this scene. He immediately sits up from turning Tina and screams for Dr. Thomas. And he says, you and your dear friends are dead. Not one man shall escape my vengeance. Not one man shall leave here alive. Search out every shadow, every corner. This will be your inglorious tomb. And then he goes quiet. So good. And they're all just left standing there. And they're all like, oh, 
shit. I'd be like, oh, it's lunchtime. I gotta go grab a bite. (laughs) And he grabs the first cop. The first cop is electrocuted. Then one is pushed over a ledge and falls to his death. Mm -hmm. Even that nosy civilian motherfucker that the cops ignored, he comes back and starts yelling, we got him. He's over here. It's like, bitch, you ain't a part of this. (laughs) (laughs) They should have told your ass to go outside. Now you're dead. I hope you're happy. (laughs) You feel like the big man now? Just had to be a part of things. Now you're dead. But in spectacular fashion. Yeah. Momo Walde picks his ass up and throws him down the stairs, knocking over two more cops in the process. And you see this dude's face as he falls down these concrete stairs. I mean, this stunt, I I honestly was like, dude, I hope you didn't lie about having stunt training on your resume because <laughs> that that was him that you see him go all the way down mm-hmm. that was intense yeah, it really was well <laughs> next mama walde picks up <laughs> two 50 gallon drums <laughs> and hurls them from the second story down to a cop <laughs> and they hit him smack in the face <laughs> but the sound that it makes it's literally like so good it is amazing i literally laughed out loud it was so perfect it was perfect yeah i think we both were sitting there laughing for a good minute i even in my notes i wrote that drum throw sound was so good a solid 10 out of 10 on the donk scale (laughs) it was amazing well they finally locate the coffin and pry it open and the doctor is there at the ready to stake Mama Walde in the heart. But when the lid is opened, it's not Mama Walde inside. It's Tina. This is where he chose to hide her while all this was going on. This doesn't seem very well thought out. No. <laughs> I mean, could you, could we not put her in a closet somewhere? Is the coffin not extremely obvious? It seems to me like that's obvious. Like, that's the first place they're going to look is in the fucking coffin, right? Yeah. I mean, he could put her, he could have put her in one of those, like, those drums. <laughs> yeah. And thrown her at a cop. <laughs> the she donk would have been different. But... <laughs> it would not have resonated as well. But, yeah, it, it this just seems like a poorly thought out plan. Yeah. Uh, but it's tragic. It really is. It's like a... a kind of an emotional scene like i remember kind of being like really oh i literally gasped yeah i was like oh, what yeah <laughs> it's like oh no he's supposed to kill everyone and they ride off into the sunset yeah well maybe not sunset he is a vampire <laughs> they ride off into the moonset but unfortunately she's she's dead and this time she's dead dead like for real dead yeah for real he's not alive anymore yeah and and everyone is distraught by this M. Night Shalamalan twist, including Mama Walde, who no longer has a reason for living. Mm-hmm. And he walks into the room and uh, he demands that everyone get away from her. And he goes over and embraces her and says, my lovely Tina, what's left for this cursed creature? His only reason for living has been taken away. And then he says, Kwahiri, which means goodbye in Swahili. Mama Walde then stands and turns and and faces the doctor and the lieutenant and 
he starts to kind of step forward and the doctor acts like he's gonna pull a, a, his cross out of his jacket and Mama Wande just says that that won't be necessary and uh, he walks past them and begins to slowly make his ascent up into sunlight and you know he has he has no reason to stay if he doesn't have his love mm-hmm. and he walks up and basically turns into a paper mache head with maggots and dry ice yeah and he dies yeah roll credits credit roll but but the paper mache skull was still pretty cool it it was pretty cool i mean it was by far their biggest effort yeah we can say that <laughs> but who knew it was a tragic love story all along yeah I mean, it, I was I was bummed out at the end. Yeah, that's one thing I gotta give this movie. I mean, not one thing. I can give this movie a lot of things, but this is just another thing that there really was like truly a range of emotions in this movie for a horror movie. Like I felt the feels. I was sad. I was happy. I was scared. I was very excited. I was also scared again. <laughs> I was left wanting more. So, yeah. Well, luckily there's a second one. Yeah. Where do we go from here? We just watched him die. That's a good point. I I do know there's some voodoo in in the second one. Okay. Okay. So, um, something tells me that... (laughs) (laughs) So, like, maybe... The the voodoo thing. Yeah. Might be conjured or something. That would be my best guess. We'll have to watch the trailer. I want to see it. All right. Well... Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We, we still got to wrap this one up. We we got some prompts to get to, and this is going to be good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ready to hear your highlights. So what was your popcorn spiller? So for me, it was the cabbie woman vampire. It was that literal moment that really, like I said, solidified the movie as, as really a good movie for me. Like I was sitting there, and, and really I realized that I was enjoying it and uh again like I said off the top vampires just really it's it's never been my thing I don't know why I've never really gotten into books or movies or tv shows but I really found myself able to separate that like it never was a vampire movie Mm -hmm. the whole time I was just fully invested in the characters and the storyline and um so throughout that I found up until this point that yeah I was engaged but once this scene occurred and we're met with such a creepy set of events happening, uh-huh. it really did. It was just like the nail in the coffin, but it's for me. So what about for you? What was your popcorn spiller? Well, for mine, I, I had to do, it, it was basically a tie. So one of mine was Juanita running down the hall to mm-hmm. kill Sam mm-hmm. or when she surprised motherfucker out from under the sheet when she popped up there yeah. even though i knew she was under the sheet mm-hmm. it's the way she came up yeah because you're expecting you're just kind of either him to just whip the sheet back and you see her and it's like oh scary mm-hmm. or she's just gonna sit straight up but this woman i mean she like immediately pops straight mm-hmm. up and she's off the gurney and screaming the whole time it was just so much all at once mm-hmm. it it really did startle me so yeah it, it was a tie for me yeah so basically the common consensus is the moment to have your popcorn in your hands to spill during this movie is when the cabbie woman is 
thawing. Yes. Make sure you have your popcorn in your hand <laughs> when she's thawing. As soon as she begins to thaw, have yourself a snack. <laughs> Just hold popcorn in your hands. <laughs> but don't explain to people what you're doing. Don't. <laughs> It'll be great. And then send pictures. We just want to see pictures of people randomly holding popcorn in their hands. It's my new thing. <laughs> All right. Well, up next is the scene stealer. So who is that for you? Juanita. Hands down. Everything about her. I just, I want a Juanita movie. Yeah. I love her. Can it be called Cabula? Oh. Or? No. Say no more. Okay. You've hit gold. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Who's your scene stealer? So for me, and I'm only putting this in because of this one scene, and it's Dr. Thomas, and it's because of that one creepy scene. (laughs) The one where he gets real creepy, and he's like, "Mm." Oh, God. Trying to console that girl immediately after that. Like, I hadn't, he wasn't, like, really on my radar in any capacity. But after the scene, I was like, oh, I have my eye on you. Like, I'm I'm creeped out. I don't like whatever's happening here. So, yeah, it, it was. I mean, obviously, truly in my heart of hearts, it's Juanita. Uh But if I have to go outside of that, I have to give it to him just because that one scene was so weird. And I just, I was like, why did he have to do that? (laughs) People, we we are not doing this noise justice. Please, if for no other reason, go watch this movie just for that scene. See if you can figure out what's going on there and why no one else thought that would not just come across as creepy as hell. <laughs> All right. Well, what about your gorgasm? So for me, I, I actually put that ending skull scene just because, like you said, you said it was kind of their biggest effort. Uh, but I did enjoy the time lapse of it having it go from him to the skull to the kind of ashes and it and on into the credits and I enjoyed the maggots I just thought that was fun why not throw those in those are those are gory and gross <laughs> maggots are always gross yeah yeah but really I I, I I I that one was a little bit tough for me just because I couldn't really think of a whole lot so I, I really kind of gave it to that last scene just because that was the last one that was kind of stuck in my head that I was like yeah that one's pretty good yeah what about for you for me I put the bat transition and, and the reason why is because it's, it really isn't an effect at all. It's literally, okay, here's a shot of Mamawande and here's a shot of a bat and we're just going to fade one into the other. Mm-hmm. There's no effect there and it doesn't matter Yeah, because that's not why you're watching this mm-hmm. movie. And the fact that it doesn't matter and none of these effects are that great is part of the charm of this movie. Yeah. And so, it, like I said, it didn't affect my enjoyment of the film at all. It only enhanced it. Everything about it just made me smile. I, it, The bottom line is, did your movie entertain me? And this movie entertained the hell out of me. Yeah. yeah. So I don't care if you have crappy special effects. If you can still send me away from your movie, either smiling or talking about it because i'm so excited about what i just watched you do what you gotta do yeah i'll be there so who did you have down as your memorable mortality it's sam's death the whole scene of Mm -hmm. juanita running down that hall just it it was amazing absolutely amazing it's it hands down what about for you so for me i actually put tina 
just because that scene was so kind of impactful. I mm-hmm. didn't expect to actually be a little bit emotional during this movie and to kind of be invested in what I originally was like, this is an awkward, gross relationship. I don't understand why this is happening. <laughs> and then in a span of like 10 minutes, I'm like fully invested in wanting them to work it out and, and make it <laughs> for the future and their babies that they're going to have. We all thought those crazy kids were going to make it. Yeah. So yeah, and it would really genuinely was like, I, I, I also flipped my mind over to the character that did end up killing her. It was just kind of like, shit, like you killed the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. It just was a really impactful scene. I was not expecting it at all to be <laughs> sitting there being like, oh, what, what how's this going to end? <laughs> Wait. Where's the part where they all come back? And it's fine. Surely there's like a post credit scene or something. Says <laughs> just kidding. Well, that brings us to the final question. Does it go in the vault? Or do we leave it in the dead zone? I'm excited to say that this one goes in the vault for me. Oh my gosh, it's so in the vault. It was it was genuinely so fun. I I'm ju- I'm just in, in awe. And I'm in, in so much shock by how much I enjoyed it. And, I, and only because purely the monster in the movie. I didn't have any other qualms about it at all. I'm just, I've never been a vampire fan. So I kind of went into it. Like I tend to go in with like um, aliens or possession movies. It's just like, this isn't my favorite, but I'm here to have a good time and mm-hmm. I'll enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, coming out of a movie to be able to say like, this could probably easily go in like one of my tops top favorites and it's a vampire movie that's pretty big deal nice yeah very nice yeah i love that we through this podcast are gonna get to see some great films that we just never had the chance to see before and this is certainly one of them for us and i i just could not have been happier after i watched this movie i had such an enjoyable time this to me is the epitome of of a drive-in movie film. Mm, yes. This is what you want to see when you're just sitting there in the car and it's up on the big screen and it just, you know, ah, uh, it it just sounds like a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely recommend it. And like, uh, you know, we said earlier, we were able to find it on Pluto, but also on YouTube and I'll link the YouTube video down in our show notes if you guys want to check it out. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 11 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. There's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is deadzonedrivein, P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Also, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link tree URL to our socials and our letterbox, which is a site and an app to keep up with all the movies we're watching. Lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching Wes Craven's Last House on the Left from 1972. And if you want to check out its trailer, don't worry, we got you. It is also linked down in the show notes. 
And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. They closed out last week's screening with three encores, including a speaker-shattering version of their hit classic, Just the Tip. It's an incredible song all about the lead singer's time as a waiter. You can really feel the pain behind the lyrics. I cried. It was so good. And remember, if you're looking for The Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.